Hello, and welcome to Bubby Brister's Brunch Buddies, your go-to show for football history, analysis, and general sports information on the Dallas Cowboys and Washington football team on KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. I'm Harry Gollum, here with Andrew Pearson. Hello, folks. And today, Andrew and I are going to be covering the matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos. We're also going to talk about the implications of the NFL's extended schedule, some current NFL power rankings, and one NFL legend's less than flattering portrayal of the league. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's dive into the matchup. So, Andrew, if I were to ask you what the all-time record for Broncos Chiefs was vaguely, what would you think? I would actually probably say it would favor the Broncos because the Broncos have simply been more relevant and more consistently good ever since the merger. <laughs> Sorry, choked there a little bit. Uh. <laughs> but anyway, you're wrong, Andrew. <laughs> it's actually, this surprised me as well. I would have assumed it would have been at least been close, but it's actually 68-55 Chiefs. Really? And one of the big reasons for that is that it's pretty close to 500. But during the Andy Reid era, especially the post-Peyton Manning Broncos, it's just not been very close, right? So the Chiefs they, have just they, cleaned just up been, the Broncos. Yeah, they've just been running up the score ever since Manning so, left. It was pretty close, uh, but considering they play each other twice a year, and that's now been because Peyton Manning was out for starting in the 2017 season, that's almost 10 games. So it, what was nearly a 500 right, series. starting the 2016 season. Because you retired in 15. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yes. no, you're right, you're right. Yeah, because yeah. I'm thinking of the Super Bowl being in 16. The point is, there's been double-digit games since then, which means that what was near a 500 series has really widened recently. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. But they never tied, and they only played once in the playoffs. And that one playoff round, the Broncos won. So that was in the 1997 divisional round playoff game. Oh my gosh, now, 97. So is this their first year with Montana and Marcus Allen? This is Marcus Allen. Um, no, this is not Montana. This is Elvis Gerbeck. Oh my gosh. Not another former San Fran quarterback, I believe. That's their thing, man. It sometimes it works really well. Sometimes you get a Steve DeBerg. But hey, no disrespect to Steve DeBerg, though. Only respect. Only respect. Only respect. So anyway, it was in Arrowhead Stadium, and it was a pretty packed early January in Kansas City. Now, we were off to a rip-roaring start in the first quarter where nobody scored. Yeah, that's John Elway, by the way. I mean... Oh, yeah, this would be a John Elway. It's a John Elway Terrell Davis year. Finally, with with less than two minutes left in the second quarter... Denver finally breaks through the Terrell Davis touchdown. So now it's 7-0 heading into halftime. But Kansas City, Andrew, they're not going out with a fight, without a fight. So in the third <laughs> quarter, they five minutes in, they kick a field goal. And then with about a 10 seconds left in the third quarter, Tony Gonzalez catches a 12-yard touchdown pass from Elvis Gerback to make it a 14-10 game. So heading into the fourth quarter of a playoff game at home, the Chiefs have all the momentum. They're the only ones who scored in the third quarter, and they've absolutely shut down the high-powered Denver offense. What do you think happens? Well, you've already spoiled the end of the story, Harry. That is true. But how? 
How did the Chiefs blow it? Uh, well, th- this would have been when Terrell Davis was still relevant, so uh, probably going to be him. Yep, it was a Terrell Davis one-yard touchdown. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. I mean, I brought this up because it was a playoff game and because there's some interesting players. But frankly, this game was kind of terrible, <laughs> which is what makes it kind of funny. Like, Elvis Gerback outplayed, completely outplayed John Elway in this game. Mm-hmm. And Terrell Davis had a good game. You know, 25 attempts, 100 yards. So, I mean, not his best game, but not a bad game by any means. And Marcus Allen was just terrible. He had 37 yards on 12 attempts. Really? Yeah. Because I I know that Marcus Allen was amazing with the Chiefs. And Mm -hmm. what what, what was it, five years with the Chiefs? Something like that? Something like that. Let me see here. Yeah, he was there... Yeah, five. That's exactly right. Though this was his last year's worth mentioning, and he very much, I mean, he kind of, eh, yeah, this is probably his worst year with the Chiefs. It was his, yeah, he played all 16 games, but he only racked up 500 yards rushing. I mean, th- this was the year he broke the uh, all-time rushing record, right? Or was it all-time I TDs? It must have been all-time TDs. Uh, yeah, because he was still getting a lot of touchdowns, but he just did not rack up very many yards. Well, that's because the Raiders just benched him for so long and refused no, no, to use him. I, that's true. I'm more talking about the about the Kansas City Chiefs in his last year. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so there is one fella I want to talk a little bit about, right? And he didn't necessarily do a ton this game. <laughs> he had one very significant play, one 50 yard reception. But I'm not here to talk about what he did in this game. As much as I'm here to talk about the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Horn. Ah, uh, Joe Horn. Are you Senior. familiar, Andrew? That's right. Yes, I am familiar. So we gotta, we are gotta we, talk. Are we, a are, are we bringing up the Saints TD, uh, TD celebration? Of course, but we have to. Yeah, we gotta get. We there. have to. Put, we gotta get there. No, first. we gotta get there. So first of all, the man is playing in high school. He's a standout quarterback running back, wide receiver, and punter. The Sammy Baugh combination. You got to respect it, right? Mm-hmm. Then, and this is amazing here, he is unable to qualify for Division One football. So he plays at a community college in Mississippi, plays pretty well, and then he doesn't play a single down of football for two years after leaving college. Really? We're talking about an NFL wide receiver here, folks. Doesn't play at all for two years. And then finally, he gets a tape of a Jerry Rice workout from a local blockbuster. This is real. Mm-hmm. And he and he practiced the drills, made a highlight video himself, and sent it to mo- uh, multiple professional teams across the U.S. and Canada. And finally, he gets on to the uh, – finally, he sort of claws his way onto a roster. He's signed by uh, the CFL some, – some CFL teams. Um Wait, and wait, finally, wait, 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 Joe, Joe Horn. Yeah. As, as, mm-hmm. in, as in the father of JC Horn? Uh, I'm not sure. I actually don't know. I'm talking about the receiver. No, I'm, TD record holder. 
Wait, wait, wait. Hold I don't on. know. I don't know J.C. Horn's relation to him. No, no, no. I know J.C. Horn is the son of, of Joe Horn. I just want to make sure we're talking about the same Joe Horn. I'm talking about Joe Horn, the, the guy who pulled out the phone out of his yeah, sock. That's, yeah, that's the who The Saints receiver. About. All-time TD record. Yeah, this is the guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now, now we're on the same page because you're telling me the story. And yeah. uh, hold on. Let me, let me make sure I get his name right. Uh, you're telling me this story, and yeah, I was thinking about um, yeah. Hold on, let me look at the roster real quick. Yes, position, wide receiver. I was thinking about Michael Lewis is who I was okay. thinking of because he mm. he's someone who also had a very rough uh, rough story. Uh, like he got out of high school, and instead of, instead of playing football, he he. You know, started working at uh, work, working as a truck driver for Bud for Budweiser in the New Orleans area, uh, because <laughs> to, to, to feed his family, and he actually worked his way into the NFL through like arena football, until they the Saints finally signed him as a local guy, and he was one of the best kick returners in the league for like a solid five years. Mm. But but that's a different yeah. story. That's a different yeah. story. That's a different story. Now, Michael Lewis might have played with Joe Horn, but we got to yeah. talk about Joe Horn. So anyway, Joe Horn, I mean, he has a good year in the CFL, and he gets drafted in the fifth round by the Chiefs, which is how he ends up in our playoff game, actually. Ah, I see. But okay. then he comes to New Orleans, and he absolutely goes off in New Orleans, right? And there are some interesting things about it. For example, he actually does hold the all-time Saints uh, TD record for receiving touchdown record but it was actually surpassed by Marquez Colston. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's interesting. But he does hold a record still, which is that he is actually the all-time leader in Saints 100-yard receiving games with 27. So that's actually an interesting little fact. But besides that, he also set a single-season franchise record in 03 for receiving yards and receiving touchdowns. So he probably had the best single season of any Saints receiver ever. I mean, what about, what about Slant Boy? <laughs> well, that's actually we, he has a relationship with Slant Boy. Does he? So everyone knows Joe Horn. If you know Joe Horn, you probably know him for the when he scored a touchdown, he reached into his sock and he pulled out a phone. In the a middle flip of the game. phone. Flip phone. A flip phone. Because this is back in the 2000s. And that's the iconic Joe Horn celebration. He was fined for it because the NFL hates fun, blah, blah, blah. But so this is this is a little interesting thing here. 15 years later, Michael Thomas recreated Joe Horn's famous celebration after scoring a 72-yard touchdown. And in doing so, and you know what Horn's response was? What was that? He quote, he said he teared up and immediately bought Michael Thomas's jersey and called him the best receiver in the league. Aww. <laughs> so that's nice. Good, good on Joe Horn. Uh, I will say one thing, which is a little sad, right? Mm-hmm. He kind of, I don't know what to say. He was big with the with the with the Saints, right? They loved him. He yeah. was signed to a six year deal in 05, but they cut him. I mean, they just cut him in 06. Oh, they cut him after signing him. Yeah. Basically, he they wanted to take a pay cut. He said no, and they just cut him. Which is a little sad. And then he ended up signing a four year deal with the Falcons and they cut him. And then he just retired. So it's kind of sad that he really didn't last that long. But at least he was sort of at peace 
with the with the Saints. You know, he ended up being inducted into the Hall of Fame and all that Saints Hall of Fame. So good for him. Just a little bit of a sad note, but still a pretty incredible career when you consider this is a guy who at one point had not played football for two years and then jump-started his career with a Jerry Rice workout tape from a local blockbuster. Let's go, dude. And 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 like I said before, I did double-check this. J.C. Horn, the first-round mm-hmm. pick this year for the Carolina Panthers, is Joe Horn's son. So, I never knew that. So, father-son relationship and um, going to the rival team, I guess. But, uh, you know, NFL bloodlines are always fun to to follow so there you sure. go yeah all righty so our next game was a rip roar on september 24th 1978 matchup between our two teams the broncos and the chiefs mm-hmm. now this is interesting because this was very much 1970s football but it actually didn't start that way and that's because of one man playing quarterback for the denver broncos named craig Morton. Mm-hmm. You know who Craig Morton is, Andrew? I feel like I've heard the name before. Well, I think you have, and we'll get into that once we're done with the game. We'll talk a little bit more about it. Anyway, he throws a 42-yard touchdown pass to open up the scoring. And then, well, the Chiefs respond with uh, quarterback Mike Livingston's one-yard touchdown run. That's all the scoring for the first quarter, and we're even at 7-7. Then the two teams trade field goals in the second quarter, leaving the game tied at 10 all heading into halftime. Then in the third quarter, both teams get a rushing touchdown to keep the game even 17, 17, nobody scores in the fourth quarter and we head to overtime. Mm-hmm. So it's not that the offense was necessarily super impressive. I mean, outside of the 42 yard touchdown pass, none of this was super incredible, but the thing that's interesting is that, when you actually look at the quarterback's play, it was terrible, Andrew. Oh, no. <laughs> like, it was... Can we can we get some QBRs out here? Yeah, yeah. We've got a, a QB rating, 73.1, and that's the good one. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Chiefs quarterback Mike Livingston had a 57.9 QB rating. Oh, that's tough. That, that's not good. Meanwhile... The running backs didn't do half bad, especially Larry Canada for the Broncos. That's a great name, name, by the way. Yeah, that is a name. Yeah. Overall, though, uh, just, I mean, Craig Morton went 12 for 21 passing. (laughs) (laughs) It was not a great, it was not great. But anyway, Denver breaks through Dave Preston who is another running back for the Broncos, not their leading rusher, not even, mind you, their second leading rusher. Their third leading rusher walks the game off in overtime because that's just what 1970s football was. You had three running backs, all of whom ran for 50-plus yards. (laughs) It was really a running back by committee back then, except it actually wasn't. Most most teams were looking for bell cows, but... Yeah, yeah. It was was a different time. It was a very different time. You got Larry Canada, Lonnie Perrin, and Dave Preston. All three of them rushed for significant yardage, and two of them, Canada and Preston, scored a touchdown. So it was a bit of a running back by committee approach for the Broncos. There you go. But, Andrew, I wanted to ask you a question. Yes. Do you know who was the first quarterback to start a Super Bowl for the Cowboys? I want to say Don Meredith. 
Um, let's see, when was their first Super Bowl? The first, are you talking like first Super Bowl appearance or first? Uh, yeah, first appearance. NFL championship or Super Bowl? Super Bowl. I, it, it's got to be Roger Staubach. Now, except this... except that's the thing. If you're asking, it can't be Roger Staubach. That's right. Oh man, it was. It would be too late for Don Meredith. Um, too early for, for Danny White. You got me on this one, man. Andrew, the answer you've been looking for the whole time it was Craig right Morton. It was Craig Morton. And not only that, but when Meredith retired in 69, they had Staubach on the roster and they chose Craig Morton. Well, that's good. That's because Staubach was still off at, with the Navy at that time. That's true. But what's funny, what's just so funny to me, is that he does take the team to a Super Bowl, Super Bowl five against the Baltimore Colts. They lose. I mean, they, they lost. Like, obviously, they lost. They lost but to Johnny Unitas, you, yeah. This actually was interesting because in 1971, Tom Landry created a quarterback controversy. Oh, that's right. I remember this. So Yeah. I, all right. Yeah. So I can, I can detail this a little bit. So Go, Craig, please go on. So Craig Morton and, um, and Roger Staubach, right? Roger comes back from, from war. He, it's... It's like you said, it's 71. Roger is like 27, 28. You know, he's, he's getting up there in age already. I mean, uh, he's got to play sometime or it's just not going to happen. So what Tom Landry did was that he created a quarterback by committee. That is what he did. He decided to play both at the same time, uh, kind of like package quarterbacks, uh, Imagine what the Panthers did with their quarterbacks a couple of weeks ago, except nowhere near as bad, and you had a Hall of Fame quarterback in there. Uh, so I think after after seeing Roger enough um, is when he realized that, uh, you know, these kind of have to play the exciting guy. Now, I don't know if Craig Morton was the backup quarterback that did this, Harry. But mm-hmm. there's a story that mm-hmm. one of Roger Staubach's backups, right? And this would have mm-hmm. been a late to or this would have been mid seventies, mm-hmm. was getting really jealous that he was not starting, right? And mm-hmm. I think okay. okay, I see that smirk on your face, so I'm pretty sure it was Craig Morton who did this. But apparently, at some point in practice, right? Um, you know, Rod, Roger Staubach is taking off his pads and the backup quarterback, while he's in the middle of taking off his pads, sucker punches Roger Staubach, runs away, and leaves the team. <laughs> this was real. This was real. It was the Wild West back in 70s football. <laughs> but yeah, and there was no question that Roger was starting from then on. Yeah, I mean, that's just that's just how it is. Got to assert your dominance. But Craig Morton, I mean, he he actually ends up going to the Giants. Uh, let's see. What is he? He leaves in uh, 74. So there you go. But here's the thing. He goes to the Giants. His career is not the same. But 
but he revives it with the Broncos. And that's how he ends up in this situation, throwing 42-yard touchdown passes. And he is actually replaced by yet another classic quarterback. And while this quarterback was not anywhere near the caliber of a Roger Staubach, Broncos fans will definitely recognize him. That is Norris Weiss. If that name rings a bell, it might be as one of the most mobile quarterbacks of sort of that era of NFL football. He was a very clutch QB who ended up having injuries derail a promising career. Still, Morton was uh, Morton was retired, had his number retired rather by the Broncos, and he had uh, he was inducted into the Ring of Fame. Not only that, but the year he retired was the year John Elway entered the roster. So a little bit of a passing of the torch because what number? Did Morton wear when he retired? Number seven. There you ah, go. There you it's go. all coming together. So Morton has direct links to both Roger Staubach and John Elway. Kind of an interesting fact. In fact, he was displaced by both, though obviously a little bit more acrimoniously by Staubach. Just a little interesting fact, because he was not a bad quarterback in his own right. However, Andrew, there is a huge benefit to discussing the Broncos. And what is that? Well, I, it pains me to say this, Andrew, but Bubby Brister only played for a certain number of teams. But one of them was the, was Broncos. the Broncos. So instead of choosing just one Bubby factoid, I decided to just do a general information dump <laughs> because on, on Bubby's Broncos tenure. Why? Because I can. So let's start. During the 98 season, this is probably one of the more well-known things. John Elway misses four games due to injury and Bubby starts in relief. Broncos go undefeated in all of his starts, and Bubby has a higher passer rating than John Elway. Was Bubby Brister better than John Elway in the 98 season? Yes. The answer is yes, 100%. There's no doubt I will die on this hill. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he actually, I've mentioned this before, but he broke Elway's team record for longest rushing touchdown by a quarterback. He he was a 38-yarder. Uh, unfortunately, Tim Tebow broke Bubby's record, so it did not stand forever. But it standed for a while. Standed yeah, for a it stood for quite a while. while. So, also, he did make an appearance, and I mentioned this before on the show, but I think it's worth reiterating. In Super Bowl thirty-three against the Falcons, they bring Bubby in. But, you know, instead of bringing him in to win the game, because let's be honest, she could have, right? One hundred percent. They bring him in just to kneel at the end. They ended it on a sweet note. They trusted Bubby (laughs) to end the game, Harry. Now, let me tell you a little something here, right? Bubby Brister not only was passed over by the Broncos for Brian Greasy. Did not work, by the way. Not good. But Bubby Brister's best game came against the Broncos when he was with the Steelers. Listen to this. On October 14th, 1990, the Steelers beat the Broncos 34-17. to Bubby went 21 for 28 with uh, for 353 yards and four touchdowns, including three to rookie tight end Eric Green. Incredible. Incredible. And he could have done that every game if the Broncos had just kept him instead of Brian Greasy. I mean, I think that's the worst part. They kept him shackled, Harry. They were <laughs> holding him back. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> oh well sadly sadly that's all i have for our bubby power hour today but you know good news 
good news is that there's always more Bubby facts out there because Bubby Brewster left a mark, an indelible mark on the league. Honestly, I would say his legacy is greater than any players in any sport. I mean, he's he's above football at this point. Well, what was he doing now? Like a law firm? Is that what he does? Real estate? Is that what he does? <laughs> yeah, I believe he's actually a like works on a pipeline. I think he's in Louisiana. Yeah, no, because that's where he's from. I think he's still based in yeah. Louisiana. Yeah, I think he does a pipeline. I think it's something something pipe like natural gas, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. But whatever he is, he's the best at it. That's all I know. That's right. Anyway, so Andrew, I, I admit we're now getting to that part of the show where we talk about what's going to happen in this upcoming match. I mean, we can honestly, we can honestly <laughs> skip this one. Uh... No, no. And here's why. Because we had fun a little while ago last year, Andrew, mm-hmm. when I asked you, how is it possible for, in this case, it was the Adam Gates Jets to beat the Raiders? But now this one's not you, as funny. If you're That's Vic Fangio, if you're Vic Fangio, how are you going to beat the Chiefs? What's the game plan? Well, you're assuming that they're benching Patrick Mahomes. That that's kind of, I mean, you're gonna have to kind of, you know, tweak, uh, Patrick Mahomes' kneecaps for a certain couple of days. All right, make sure he's not playing. I think Chad Henney's still the backup. Um, they're they're in Kansas City. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's see. Um, well, you gotta hope Teddy Bridgewater's starting. That that's the right. first thing. Because I don't know if they've shut him down for the year, but it's been Drew Locke in, and um, evidently Drew Locke really freaking sucks. Good lord! Okay, that actually I want to talk about that instead of predicting the game. Drew Locke what? wasn't he supposed to be at one point not the worst thing ever? So here's the deal with Drew Locke. All right, and I actually really respect the Broncos for doing this. So. I believe in the first round that year, oh gosh, who did they draft? Was it was it Judy that they drafted in that yeah. round or in mm-hmm. that in that draft? It was Judy, and then they took Drew Locke in the second round, I believe. Um, I, actually, no, no, they didn't. Uh, let me just let me just double check. 20, 2019 Broncos draft let me let me just double check uh yeah they took noah fan that was oh you're right they've invested a lot into making drew lock a successful nfl quarterback haven't they yeah and and clearly as they found out this year he ain't it um so that year's draft was noah fan 20th uh, they took Dalton Reisner, uh, a solid guard that they still have, uh, who's still pretty good right, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in the second round. And what was a good move at the time was taking a flyer on Drew Locke. Now, he was viewed as a very raw prospect. Um, he wasn't exactly the most mobile. It's not like he was a glacier in the pocket or anything, but he was very raw, didn't have great pocket sense, not the best of accuracy in the world, you know, moderately athletic, but what he did have was one of the best arms in college football. And I'll actually make a comparison here, Harry. What you and I thought when we watched Justin Herbert at, at Oregon, what we believe what we were seeing there is mm-hmm. com- is basically the same situation that we saw with Drew Locke. So 
For those who were very critical of Justin Herbert coming out of college and he had a lot of warts in his college game, and I'm frankly very surprised at just how much better he is in the NFL, um, Drew Locke was a very passive, uh, passive-minded quarterback, uh, as in he wasn't very aggressive at all, didn't show the best of traits, but what he did have was one of the best arms in college ball, right. and yeah. that was enough to, uh, and he was a lot he was a lot more athletic than the lock coming out. And that's what prompted the Chargers to take a flyer to, to take that, you know, high. Um, what, what would you, what would you say of uh, that extremely valuable pick to gamble, sure. gamble on that talent. And what the Broncos did in that draft was really smart was take a gamble on that arm, take a gamble on, on that talent and see where it leads. Right. Now, thankfully it was only a second round pick, but this is Christian Hackenberg levels of bad because he did not develop at all in Denver. Despite him having Noah Fant, a, a, a solid offensive line, it ended up getting Jerry Judy, um, KJ Hamler, and Tim Patrick, along with, along with, uh, along with uh, Melvin Gordon in the backfield, who's not bad at all. And I believe I think it's uh not I think it's Carter I think that they their rookie this year, uh but anyways they they have a solid rookie back this year as well so one two punch in the backfield, one of the best receiving cores in the league. A, a Cortland Sutton as well. Let's not forget Cortland Sutton. Oh yeah, Cortland Sutton. I remember that. Yeah. So he has one of the best offensive situations in the league, and he completely blows it. Just terrible, terrible awareness in the pocket. Completely skittish and spotty accuracy that is just atrocious to look at. Just no ability to read the field at all. His play extension is not that great. He just doesn't have that it factor as a quarterback. He belongs in the XFL or the CFL. It's just... At this point, Locke's arm is all he has because he still has a great arm, but that's it. Right. That's it. I mean, what a what a disappointment for someone who the the Broncos were really looking at really revitalizing them and really counting on to give them that upside this year, and that was just not provided at all from Locke. And honestly, kudos to Teddy Bridgewater because I know we all – view him as oh he's this alex smith game managing quarterback but he's actually he actually hasn't been that at all this year uh he there's been games harry where teddy bridgewater has taken extremely aggressive game plans to the field and made them work obviously predominantly that cowboys game right where he actually had a very aggressive mindset and was making plays downfield that we haven't really seen from Teddy Bridgewater in a long time. And honestly, most of us thought that wasn't in him. Clearly, Teddy Bridgewater has shown that he has the he has a little more upside than we thought um, and has played much more aggressively than, than people thought he was going to be. The problem with Teddy Bridgewater was actually the consistency which is what everyone thought was so good about him because there were weeks where he was pretty pedestrian, but there were also weeks that he really, really took it to a next level. But 
Drew Locke, man, what a what a letdown. What a letdown on talent. Because clearly the talent was there. It's just he wasn't able to capitalize on it. And that I think that's sad. Yeah. I mean, I think that's an interesting point. Uh, mostly because, frankly, I I feel like so often we talk about the modern NFL and we talk about, oh, this guy could have been good. He should have been put in a better situation, you know. Mm-hmm. And the Broncos did everything right, but they were building around fundamentally a shaky foundation. That being said, I think it's interesting to see Teddy Bridgewater because, I mean, people forget that he was a really well-regarded quarterback even through the first his first year. I, think, I believe he won Rookie of the Year, if memory serves. Um, I don't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't commit myself to that take. Cause I'm, I don't know for sure, but I do I know he, he, he had a solid rookie year. He had a good rookie year. People were very hopeful. And I think people forget that the Vikings were on the cusp of breaking out. In fact, I, I almost think there's an interesting alternate universe where Bridgewater stays healthy and the Vikings make their playoff run instead of with Case Keenum. They never up, they never go after Kirk Cousins either, giving them more cap flexibility, so on and so forth. And you can see that they might be a more competitive team. Regardless of what that would practically mean, the point is that Bridgewater had that team pretty close to the playoffs. And then he had that catastrophic injury. And where does he go immediately after the Vikings? It was is the it, Jets. It was the Jets. Thank you. He spent, he Thank spent, you. he spent, he spent. Uh, he he appeared in like five games for the Jets, I believe, yeah. to close out the year. That was enough right. for New Orleans to bring him in, and that and, was the right call for New Orleans. I mean, one hundred percent, he was good in New Orleans. Yeah, he had he had two solid years of backing up Drew Brees in New Orleans until finally he just he got an opportunity to start with the Panthers last year, and did pretty well. And I think we're starting to realize now with how Matt Rule's first year went compared to his second year i think we're starting to realize that teddy bridgewater might have been covering up some warts for the panthers that season oh yeah i will say one thing that is very interesting which is that i the washington football team should have brought teddy bridgewater in or, I believe or gardner Minshew or somebody no, teddy, I, I wanted teddy though i needed a steady better in presence but i think that brings me to an interesting point that you just mentioned which is that the Panthers have had a terrible QB room this year, right? They've had mm-hmm. Sam Darnold, who is an officially a bust. Yeah. Cam Newton without the arm. And PJ Walker, who is not an NFL quarterback. Just not. And I think you, you mentioned that he sort of, that Bridgewater papered over some of the problems with Matt Rule. But he also may have given a former Panthers offensive coordinator, Joe Brady, a lot more leeway. Which is honestly what surprised me so much about the Joe Brady firing. To think that there was so much instability in the quarterback room and you would still fire him. I mean, he what was he even game planning for? And then when Matt Rule was saying, we're going to start Darnold and Cam Newton. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel like you can't reasonably expect your offensive coordinator to develop a decent game plan there. But yeah, you do wonder a little bit about what are the benefits of having a consistent quarterback. And not just a consistent quarterback in that they're suiting up every game and it's one guy but that they're actually consistent like teddy bridgewater and i think you're right that he's shown that he has a higher ceiling than we might expect but that brings me to the obvious question andrew what does that mean for bridgewater in the future well i think that because remember he signed a three-year contract coming from the saints to the panthers the panthers used him for one year then traded him immediately 
uh, at the sure. conclusion of that year because they thought that they were going to have upside in bringing in damaged goods, which was Sam Darnold. Okay, so the thought process behind the Panthers, I totally got. Uh, it just didn't pan out for the Panthers, but once once the Broncos got him, that this would have been his second year. I believe he's still under contract under contract for one more year. So considering that the Broncos, looking back now, really botched their first round pick because even though Patrick Sertan has been a great cornerback this year, especially for a rookie, Justin mm-hmm. Fields was right there. And yeah, not not just sure. Justin Fields, but also Mac Jones was there too, which we're starting to realize, you know, was the best rookie quarterback this year. And, you know, it shows a certain level of promise. Now, if you had brought in Justin Fields behind Teddy Bridgewater, let him develop oh, yeah. for a year, you know, this would have this would have been a much more promising roster because this roster as a whole was one of the best rosters coming into the season outside of the quarterback position. And ever since Peyton Manning left, it's been great roster after great roster for the Broncos that has just been wasted because they have no quarterback. And coming into next year or coming into this draft where there isn't really a consensus uh, all-star quarterback ready to put, you know, come out of the oven fresh. Sure. Uh, and Aaron Rodgers looks like he's going to be sticking around in Green Bay. And who are you going for now? Are you going to try and trade for a Jordan Love? Are you going to keep going with Teddy Bridgewater? I, I don't know what you do for the Broncos, but honestly, this this indecision and this you know, quarterback purgatory that the Broncos are stuck with, I think is what's going to lead to Teddy Bridgewater getting another shot next year for the Broncos. Even though, really, is that the best decision for the Broncos? Probably not. But what are you going to do, man? Like, you're, you're, you're stuck. You're stuck as the Broncos. Right. But, because... Another problem is that Teddy Bridgewater is too good and he's going to win you enough games so you won't be picking in the top 10. So right. what's your well, ammunition? they could just tra- trade Teddy. Yeah, just like use him as ammunition and trade up. But I don't know, man. From the Broncos' perspective, this is just quarterback purgatory. Which is unfortunate because I love Teddy Bridgewater. I love the story and I like the guy. It's just right. he's in that m- middle ground where he's he's good enough to where he'll win you games, but he's right. not elite. He's just good. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I think it's a, sort of an interesting spot to be in. But I don't know. I think there are a lot worse positions to be in than the Broncos. Exhibit A, the Washington football <laughs> team. <laughs> oh, God, that. Just what a terrible, what a dumpster fire of an organization. Oh my gosh. <sighs> I'm not, let's not get into that. I don't want to, I don't want to rehash that. <laughs> so I do, however, want to talk about something, which is a, an interesting article. I, I picked up the morning paper, mm-hmm. uh, the New York Times this morning, and I read an article that said, is the schedule too long? The new expanded NFL schedule for, in case anyone at home doesn't remember, the NFL's actually extended the NFL season from 17 weeks to 18 weeks, meaning teams will play a total of 17 games. And 
the answer that the article came to and that I found myself agreeing with is, frankly, yes, I think this, the, the extension did not benefit the NFL that much because I don't, I don't think it's – I do not believe that this new Week 18 is that many meaningful games. I don't. Now, there's really only two meaningful games this week uh, because the rest of them are either teams that have already been eliminated – um, but there, there's, ba- there's two games that really matter this week. It's the Colts Jaguars game for, right. for playoff implications for other teams. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, sorry, but, but like, I mean, it's the Jaguars Col- Col- Colts are going to win. Like, come on guys. I mean, if they don't win, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's going to be so funny, but, oh my God. uh, it's basically the Colts game for the other two AFC teams in the mix, which are the Raiders and the Chargers, which is going to be the best game of the week. On Sunday Night Football, uh, so tune in because that one's actually going to be that. That's sure. the whoever wins that game is in the playoffs. So if you don't think those teams are going to be playing hard, then you're sorely mistaken. So watch that sure. game, and also uh, uh, what's it called? Um, San San Francisco against the Rams is also going to be notable because uh, keep in mind, folks, New Orleans is still alive in the playoff race. And if New Orleans wins and uh, San Francisco loses, then New Orleans is actually in the playoffs. So uh, that is that is notable. It is notable. Um, but yeah, other than those three games, all yeah. these games are washes. And and even the games, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. What really drives me up a wall is all of the counting stat records are now severely in jeopardy because of this extended game that's true so i mean the rushing record for you know emmett smith's rushing title i doubt will ever be broken just because the nfl isn't played that way anymore um but the receiving record uh i think we're clearly seeing now with cooper cup on the cusp of shattering that um or on the cusp of actually getting up to uh, or breaking the single season uh, reception or receiving yards record. Uh, I don't know if I don't know if he's going to get the touchdown record. I need to see the stats. Uh, but I what's he at like eighteen hundred yards right now, something like that. He's at eighteen. Yeah, I believe so. I think you're right. Yeah, I have not kept up with Cooper Cup's exact stats to be honest. But yeah, I don't know. It's, I ahead. feel like when when like Calvin Johnson Jr. or Adrian Peterson were getting really close to setting their respective records, though AP didn't obviously came with a little short. I felt like there was a lot more press, but I don't know. Cooper cup, maybe it's just because the Rams have not continued to be like clearly the best team. I don't know. They've flown a little under the radar. Maybe that's just me, but I've just not seen as much from, you know, they had a seven and one start and they've played five and three since then. So, you know, I mean, I think that's just Cooper Cup st- is still managing to be a very low-profile uh, figure in uh, in the NFL landscape, and I think part of that is just because, you know, he's that he's a small slot receiver out of Eastern Washington, who's doing amazing things right now, but no one's really noticing yeah. because, you know, who cares about Cooper Cup? People don't realize. You know, Cooper Cup exists until he catches ten balls on your team. That's true. That's true. You know, he's sneaky like that, Harry, like a snake. Yeah, 
Right, like a snake. <laughs> Cooper the, the snake cop. <laughs> yeah, anyway, I don't know. I think it was a mistake. I, it's just going to lead to more injuries. And as you mentioned, the games aren't really that good. But I also wanted to talk to you, Andrew, because the NFL releases regu- weekly power rankings. Oh, we're doing this? Oh, no. Now, this is not Greg Rosenthal's quarterback rankings. This is team rankings by Dan Hanses. So okay. let's take a look. Number right, one. Hold on. Let me, Green Bay let, Packers. let me pull let me pull this up sure, just so I can ahead. follow. Just so I can follow you. So sure, sure. But number one, not surprisingly, is the Green Bay Packers. I agree with that. Now it gets a little more interesting at number two because they're gonna put the Rams in at number two. Oh wait, that this is ESPN, so let me get to NFL.com's. No, yeah. Here we go. Yeah, so number two, they put the Rams, which I'm not sure I agree with. I don't think so either. You know, with the inconsistency that we've seen from Matt Stat Stafford, his Stat Patford. <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's too much for me to say that. Um, it's just too much for me to say that we that you're gonna get enough consistent weeks out of Matt Stafford to actually right. make a run at the Super Bowl. You know. I think everyone was so excited to see Matt Stafford get out of Detroit exile that they forgot that he was not a spotless, he did not have a spotless record, that he was not a perfect quarterback. I know. Um, and I, I would agree with you there, man. It's just, I don't see, looking at this list, um, you know, I don't, I don't completely trash it. I would put the sure. Chiefs a little higher. Rams yeah, definitely outside of the top five, but not that far out. Yeah, yeah. Um, um so, putting the Pats under the Titans is a little interesting. Pats and Titans are too high, dude. Honestly, really, you're turning on the Pats just like that? No, it's just that I'm not that bullish on on the Pats or or the Titans. I think it, I think a lot of that is recency bias. Um. Mm-hmm. It, it, as well as with the Cardinals and the Cowboys, I think both of those teams are a little too low as well. Ah, yes, you're very angry that your Cowboys are dead. No, it's an a... outrageous beatdown of a decimated Washington <laughs> football team felt like ancient history by the second half of a 25 to 22 loss to the Cardinals. Oh, yeah. Okay, this has to be a. Oh shoot, you guys lost Michael Gallup. Honestly, oh. I don't think that's going to be that big of a loss yeah but okay i gotta ask you a question outside of just absolutely decimating my washington football team when's the last time the offense has really kicked into gear for the cowboys Uh, let me look up the schedule real quick that just feels it feels like the cowboys broke out in the year and they were playing really really well especially in offense but now i mean geez they are really not especially with that slow first half start you know don't forget that Prescott and the offense very much padded their stats with a better fourth quarter because they were bad for three quarters of that game. You know? I mean, so other than the Washington game, the Raiders game uh, on on Thanksgiving was probably their best offensive outing in the past month. Um, so mm-hmm. I will build up what you're saying here, Harry. Um, I'm starting to get a little concerned because the Cowboys of year of yesteryear are kind mm-hmm. of appearing a little bit um, in mm-hmm. in in the offense right now. The classic Cowboys 
slow start on <laughs> offense. It's starting to make it's starting to creep its way back in. Um, and New I'm Year's getting, same Cowboys. <laughs> and I'm starting to get a little worried. However, what does keep me very hopeful that we'll finally make it to the championship game this year mm-hmm. is this specific thing, Harry. The defense has not let up all year. The defense has continued to make strides. And honestly, dude, there's been more turnovers from the Cowboys defense this year than probably in the last five. Uh, I would have to estimate at least that that's my uh, maybe that's just my recency bias kicking in. Uh, Okay. but I swear this defense is it's a group of playmakers with uh, Mm -hmm. a front seven. That's actually that's true. You know, that's actually scary. Uh, now the coverage is a little spotty. Uh, Trevon Diggs, I'll be the first to tell you that he's extremely overrated. Um, yeah, I believe he's the quarterback who's given up the most yardage and coverage this year, uh, which is saying something. But what what his redeeming quality is is that he has been an absolute ball hawk all year. So you win some, you lose some, but. I would have definitely liked to have to have had um, or to have another cornerback on the roster that is a little more stable in coverage than Trevon Diggs. Um, but I, I think these safeties are, are really covering up uh, some of Trevon Diggs' mistakes. So that's kind of, you know, that, that that's the that's silver, team football. That, that, that's the silver lining. So you can let Trevon Diggs uh, be aggressive and make plays for you. And not only that, but my goodness, Micah Parsons is just you know, he won't Very be good. The, he won't be the defensive player of the year, but that's a future defensive player of the year if if coaching staffs keep putting him in positions the way that Dan Quinn is putting uh is putting Micah Parsons into positions He's basically playing a little bit of everything. He's playing a little bit of edge rusher, a little bit of interior defensive lineman in certain spots, uh, blitzing linebacker in every spot over a guard, over a center, uh, straight from off from being off ball. He's been everywhere, and Dan Quinn has put them put him in very specific situations yeah. in which Micah Parsons has left one on one to specifically bait out certain things from the offensive line and certain things from the quarterback. Um, for example, there was this one play against Carolina where he lined up in a certain spot over a guard um, in a formation where typically, you know, if a line, if a line black, if a linebacker is blitzing, it's in a very particular stunt. Um, sure. But instead, uh, Michael Parsons was so athletic that, um, you know, Dan Quinn called him, to fake the blitz and just drop back into coverage, and he got he he was able to make an excellent play on the ball. And also, I don't know if you've noticed this, Harry, but Micah Parsons has kind of been covering a couple of receivers down the field. That yes, yep. he's been really fast. <laughs> so I don't I don't know how we lucked into this super freak on defense, but I am very happy that Micah Parsons is on the defense and. Quite honestly, the defense would not be the same without him, and he's kind of what I would be banking on for the Cowboys to make a run is Micah Parsons to play well, let Trevon Diggs play off of Micah Parsons and be aggressive, 
Let the safeties do their thing. Let the front seven eat. Let Demarcus Lawrence, you know, really in you know rough rough stuff up on the line. You got Randy Gregory playing well. Oso Diggizu is playing well. Uh, their rookie defensive tackle that they drafted. The defense is very promising, and I am not used to saying that. So I'm mm-hmm. I'm just. I'm just happy to be here, man. I'm just happy yeah. to be part is of it. Is that right? Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm happy for you. Cowboys are not going to make it to the NFC Conference Championship, but that's my prediction. That's my prediction. Much love, though. Send in love, love and support your way. <laughs> but you guys are. I mean, I I hate the Cowboys. I've always hated the Cowboys. They're bad. I have to say that legally requires a Washington fan. That's all I can hope for this year is the Cowboys to crash and burn because my team is not doing anything. <laughs> You know they say they say to um they say to buy on the dip, Harry. Oh well, if that's baby, the case, then man, baby, I'm gonna be rich. And baby, we're dipping right now. That's for sure. Uh, I don't know what to say except that we get a top ten pick, baby. Yeah, <laughs> let's go. We're gonna draft the future of the franchise. I don't even know this year's quarterback class. I'm pretty sure it's weak, but we'll find a gem. <laughs> it's fine. But the last thing. I wanted to bring up was it was interesting. So Eric Dickerson did an interview, sort of a retrospective of his NFL career. And he said a couple of interesting things. The first thing that he said was that he didn't believe his rushing record would ever be broken. And he actually mentioned a lot of the reasons you mentioned, Andrew, about how it wasn't the way the game was being played, but also that he just felt like it was one of those records that he didn't believe could be broken. The other thing that's interesting is that he, he revealed something about his career I did not know, which is that he had a debilitating toe injury for essentially his entire career. Oh, my gosh. And the only way he could play was a toe guard. I mean, he described it as in his rookie year, he got turf toe, and that toe hurt so badly that he described it as, if I touched the bed sheet with it, it felt like dropping a phone book on it. Right. Oh my gosh. And he essentially got a custom made toe guard to be able to plant with his toe for the rest of his career because it never really healed. And even now he says, yeah, I, I do feel pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so interesting. But the other thing he said that was interesting is that he did not pull punches in the way he described the NFL. He was very, um, he did not like the NFL. He said that they were that they essentially didn't want to support former players, you know, and that also that he felt like they were under that they were undervaluing the contributions of these former players and, and just generally wanting them to kind of go away, leave the media. Because don't forget, he was one of the first players to sue the NFL over covering up S, uh, the CTE. So he ends up describing it as, and I want to get his exact words here. He says, the NFL is another no good entity. And yeah, I don't know. I think that's an interesting thing because you don't usually hear a legend, an NFL legend or any league's legend speak about their league so negatively, right? I mean, that, but you'll, I, I, I completely agree with him because of the amount of stuff that the NFL has covered up and continue to be tight-lipped about to this day that, and I'm sorry to bring it back to your team, Harry. No, yeah, well, it, but, it was inevitable. But... The NFL's can just lock safe mentality on keeping everything that was ever revealed in their own private investigation on the Washington mm. football team, and then gave Dan Snyder a snap a, a slap on the wrist 
Yep. And then when Congress got involved, they wouldn't turn anything over. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna fight Congress. <laughs> they're really about to fight Congress on this, man. I don't know what to say. Uh, there's been a lot of shady stuff going on in the NFL. We also have to remember that they just recently uh, got rid of what was the um, what was the thing for CTE where they were um, where, where they were treating black and, and so, white players. Yeah, this is what I was going to talk about. If you want to talk about like the worst NFL thing, it was not until 2021 that the NFL stopped race norming. Race norming was the practice of essentially adjusting concussion protocol by race, which, I mean, you can imagine the way they did it. Essentially, the NFL's policy was to assume that black athletes had lower intelligence and that therefore their concussion symptoms could be more ignored. Mild concussion symptoms could be ignored for black athletes. And they were doing this all the way up until 2021, which is just terrible. Which, by the way, have you been hearing about that these past couple of weeks? No, because Urban Meyer decided to be a clown. That's true. That's true. The NFL's greatest advantage is that there's so many larger-than-life personalities, your Antonio Browns, your Urban Myers, that you can paper over a lot of the more structural flaws of the league. I know, it's... And then, and then you have freaking John Mara. Isn't he the, the one who's championing the taunting rule this year? Yeah, that's right. Just that's the, right. Just He's protecting thing. the children from taunting. He's protecting the children from Cassius March looking at the Steelers bench. In an intimidating and flagrant way, I think you mean, okay? He was a danger to himself and others. I mean, he's like Patrick Starr on the radio looking off into a very dimly lit corner of Seattle or some, or some such, okay? Mm-hmm. It's so... It's very odd how the NFL tr- chooses to deal with their own controversies and how they keep getting away with it, I think is... Right. Uh, I, I think they only get away with it because it's football. Yeah, I think so, because it's so much money. Heck, actually, you know what? Let's talk about real quick, connect, connect it back to the first piece of news we talked about, which was the extended schedule. The players didn't want it. There was not a huge groundswell of fans who wanted it. It was basically just the advertisers and the owners who wanted it. But they managed to shove it through because it's not like the players union has any power. And the and people just accepted it because it's football and the ratings are going to be great. Yeah, I don't know, man. Oh, well. On that, a little, on that depressing note. That'll do it for this episode of Bubby. It seems that we conveniently Bunny. ran out of time. Yeah. The NFL was watching. They were watching. That's right. Roger Goodell is actually closing my computer as we speak. <laughs> I hope you gained some new perspective on the NFL or at least got some Bubby Brister trivia to work with. Thanks for listening. Have a great evening, and we hope to catch you next time.